Well, we are nearing our approach on this series that we have been in for the last several weeks called The Cross and the Empty Tomb, where we're talking about all of these things that we do as a church. And we're not just talking about them, we're talking about why we do them and the importance of doing them. And it's not just, well, just because that's what we do, because we go to church, but if you've been here uh, throughout the last several weeks, then you know that we are taking each of these things, like why we go to church, uh, why we give our money, why we uh, baptize, why we commune, and we're taking all of those things and we're nuancing them, okay? The ultimate reason we do each of those things is because of the cross and the empty tomb, but now we're adding nuance to what those things mean in light of the cross and the empty tomb. And so today, we're going to talk about why we commune and then I want to invite you back for next Sunday because we're going to talk about why we forgive. And that is always a tough one. But what I have found over the years is that a lot of people struggle with forgiveness. Uh, because who in here has never been hurt by somebody? Right. All of us have. And those things, you know, they can be deep and they can be long-lasting. They can have quite an effect on us, can they not? And if we hold on to those things, you know that they tend to grow and they tend to fester and they can turn into something far more than we ever thought possible, right? And so we're going to talk about what we need to do and why we forgive. Now then there's a host of other things we could talk about as a church, why we do these things, but I just felt like that is a really good one for us to talk about. It's something that we need to, to keep in mind because... I don't know about you, but as a people and me, you know, I'm not good. I might, I might be good at forgiving one time, but it's usually not a one and done thing. Have you ever noticed that with forgiveness? Because what happens? You go away and you're like, oh, why did I forgive that person? I'm still mad, you know, and so we have to keep doing it. And so next Sunday, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about why we forgive. I hope you'll be here for that. I think it'll be, uh, I think it will be. Uh, in, encouraging to you. But today, today we're talking about why we commune. If you've been going to church for any length of time, or if you've been going to church for a long time like I have, then you have participated in communion. Now, if you've been going for a long time, then you've probably participated in hundreds, maybe even thousands of communions throughout the, the course of your life and the time that you have attended church. Now, within our tribe of churches, the churches of Christ, it is our practice to take communion on a weekly basis. There's reasons for that. We look into Scripture and we see that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, we see that those that were gathered in the name of Jesus, they gathered, they broke bread together, they passed that bread, they passed a cup which had wine, and they celebrated communion. Okay, and so we continue in that tradition, right? We continue in that tradition that's been going on for a long, long time, and that's, you know, that's what we do. Now then, this is a practice that I love, it's a practice that I, uh, that I, I value and that I hold very dear, but it is also a practice that is very easy to take for granted. Okay, it's really easy uh, to get into a rut with communion, is it not? 
because, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things we do, okay? Somebody gets up and they, they read a passage of Scripture. They might offer a, a thought or two as a sort of a meditation. Uh, then they pray, and then we pass this plate that's got, you know, these weird little pieces of bread in them that don't taste especially good, right? I mean, can we just be honest about that? I mean, they're not the most tasty. We know that. Okay, and then we do the same thing, and then we pass the tray that's got just enough grape juice in it to give you really horrible aftertaste. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on, we know, you know that's true, right? And we say, you know, that's, that's communion, that's the Lord's Supper, okay? And then we usually hook the offering onto it because that's a convenient time to do it because I guess because we're already passing things, we might as well just stay in the passing of those things. But it's easy to fall into a rut with communion. Because here comes the bread, and then here comes the cup, and here comes the offering too, and we just do it as it's, you know, and it can just kind of become all one wash that we have to do in order to get to something else, which is the sermon, which, you know, a lot of people view as the most important or the highlight of the, of the worship service, and it's easy to sort of lose focus for why we do this. This event that is, is so very important. Now, it would be my preference for us to all share communion together. You know, together. Uh, but a lot of times we tend to make communion a very private act, don't we? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen this person taking communion? Have you ever done that? You know, you, you get the bread and you get the cup and you pass it on to this. You know, we turn inward, don't we? We, we focus inward. We don't focus outward. And, and what's the word? Communion, you know? There's a, there's a, you know, commune, as in community, union. You know, it's all meant to be done together. But a lot of times, we make it a very private thing, you know? Uh, the Lord's Supper uh, is often thought of as a, a, as a private moment between God and and the person, you know, it is sort of easy to, to understand where that comes from, especially, you know, if you've had a really long week and you're just trying to get through the week and you're just trying to get everything taken care of with your work deadlines or things with your family, if you've got other travel or business you need to take care of and the moment is just, uh, the week is just rush, 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 and then it gets to communion and it's kind of like, ah, oh, I've got these few moments to, to finally just have this private moment with me and God in, and in silence. You know, and there are a lot of people that, that, I mean, they sort of think of that, but here's the thing, that sort of subverts the intention of communion. Private moments with God are, are very important. They're very necessary. They're very wonderful. We all need private moments with God, do we not? Yes, we absolutely do, but guess what? Communion is not that moment right? Communion is not the moment for private devotions with God, okay? If it was, it'd be called individualized meal where it's just you and God, okay? But it's not called that. It's communion that we take together, okay? And so a lot of times you may have noticed this, that during communion I'm looking around, okay? And it's not like I've lost in space. I'm trying to just look around and, and see who's here and try to maybe make eye contact with, 
with the room, and it's sort of difficult because we sit in rows and we look at the back of each other's heads, and that's kind of odd. But communion is meant to be, is meant to be taken together. Uh, it is a communal moment between all of us and God. It's not an individualistic act. You know, we don't sit alone. We sit with the whole church and not just, and here's the other thing, we don't just sit as the church gathered here at this location, but when we take communion, we are taking it with the universal church. We are one body communing with each other in this location, communing with the worldwide church, and communing with the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, you know, that's, that's what, what communion is, is, is about. It is a big deal. It's not this private, individualized, you know, because that's, you know, as, as Americans, we like that. You know, all about the individual, all about me, all about what I need to do, and, you know, we privatize faith and all those things, but that goes against what communion is about. It's about us being together. And so that's what I want us to understand about communion as we go forward. And I think it works really well that uh, today we're doing communion at the end because I want us to be able to keep in mind all of these things as we commune together, okay? If, you see, if anybody sees somebody doing one of these, you know, you can throw a songbook at them. It's okay for today, just today, okay? After today, that'll be off limits. But today, anybody doing this number during communion, you know, you have permission to get their attention and do this number. Like we're together in this, you know? We're supposed to be doing this together as a family. But have you ever stopped and wondered why it is we take communion? Why it is we take the Lord's Supper? I mean, really pondered it because it is kind of a, a curious thing that we do. I mean, we understand that in it we remember the broken body of Jesus. But I'm wondering if there is more to it. If there's more depth and more understanding that we can grasp together as the body of Christ as we think about why we do this thing called the Lord's Supper, called communion. Or you may come from a tradition where it's referred to as Eucharist, which is just a different way of saying communion. It's all about celebrating and offering thanksgiving for what God has done. Well, if you've been paying attention, uh, then you will know that in the last two messages that I preached on, on baptism, that I, I, I mentioned two things in particular. One was a book by uh, Dr. John Mark Hicks called Enter the Water, Come to the Table. And in that book, and this is the second thing I mentioned, uh, there is a document called uh, Baptism, Eucharist, and Ministry. Or it's, they, they shorten it and it's, they call it the B-E-M. And, and basically what that document is, is it is a statement that was talked about, debated, decided on, voted, approved on by the World Council of Churches in 1982, okay? And so they have a statement on baptism that we looked at for the last couple of weeks, and they have these five theological ideas about what baptism is that the church universal sort of understands. Okay, that's the baptism part of it. The Eucharist part of it is kind of similar. They have also set aside five theological understandings that sort of help the church define and understand what Eucharist or communion 
or, or Lord's Supper is. And so that's what I want to talk about, okay? So the, the BEM, they see Eucharist as, first and foremost, thanksgiving to the Father. Second, a memorial of Christ. Third, the invocation of the Spirit. Fourth, communion of the faithful. And then fifth, it is the meal, it's the meal of the kingdom. Now, it's these five things that over the next few minutes I want us to focus on to help us have a better and a deeper understanding of why it is that we take communion. But before we do that, let's read about the first Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, let's start uh, in verse 14. When the hour came, he, and that's talking about Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took bread, excuse me, also in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the, at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Okay. So in that passage, we read about the Lord's Supper. We also read about the event that is going to change history. Jesus is alluding to it. Now, he's talked about his uh, being betrayed and handed over before, but now what he is saying is that the person that's going to do it is right there in the room with him. Okay? But before he gets to that, he does something else, something different. This is the last night before the betrayal and before the, the, the crucifixion. Jesus gathers his apostles, they're in this room, and what he wanted to do was to share the Passover meal with his disciples. Now then, if you remember, think back and, and kind of recall your Old Testament history as to what the Passover is. Think all the way back to the book of Exodus. You remember that? The, the Hebrews, God's people, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. They cried out. God heard their cries. He raised up Moses and Aaron to go in and get the Hebrews and lead them out. You remember that? Now then, as they were getting ready to go, they were given instructions about this meal that they were supposed to eat, and they were supposed to be able to eat it on the run. Okay? And it involved several different elements. 
okay? And then, so they did this, and God leads them out of Egyptian captivity. And later on, they celebrate this meal that reminds them that God delivered them from Egyptian slavery. Remember that? When the angel passed over the houses of God's people who had marked their doorposts with the blood of the Lamb. You remember all that? Okay? And so they call that meal the Passover, remembering that the angel of death or God passed over them and spared them because they were devoted to them. And each year they celebrate the fact that God had delivered his people from slavery when they cried out to them. Okay? And so they had done, done this for years and years and years and years and years. Now, the night before Jesus is crucified, he's got all his people together, and they're celebrating this Passover, and so he takes the cup and he takes the bread, and as they begin to celebrate the Passover, he begins to deepen the significance of the meal by telling them that when they eat the bread and, and drink the wine, they are to remember him. Now then, I feel pretty confident in saying that the apostles probably did not fully understand what it was that Jesus was saying to them. You know, I feel pretty confident in that, that they didn't really grasp it until after the resurrection, when they were able to kind of look back and see and understand what Jesus was talking about. Oh, this is what he means. He'd kind of talked about being crucified and being betrayed and laying down his life and all those things. But we have seen in various times where they're like, no, 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 Lord, you're not doing that. But now, post-resurrection, they're able to look back and say, oh, that's what he meant. This is what he was talking about at the Passover. You know, when we break the bread, when we pass the cup, this is, this is what he was, this is what it was that, that, that he was talking about. And so he deepens the meaning. And he, he sort of inaugurates something new into something very old and very ancient. And it's what we now think of as the Lord's Supper. And Christians, for the past 2,000 years, have been participating in this supper. And it is something that we will participate in in, in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want us, like the apostles, to see if we can't deepen our understanding of communion just a little bit more. So we're going to talk about these, these five theological ideas set out by the, uh, the, the Council of Churches that sort of help us understand a little bit more about what communion or what Eucharist or Lord's Supper is. So the first one you see there is thanksgiving to the Father. Jesus himself gave thanks to the Father, did he not? As they're gathered together, he gave thanks to the Father at the table with his disciples. The Father supplies both the bread through creation, but he also supplies the body of Christ. We give thanks for bread as we recognize the gift of God's good creation. Okay, We eat and we say, thank you, Lord, for this bread, or give us this day our daily bread. We're asking God for his daily bread, and he provides it. And so we offer thanks for that. But also, not only do we recognize God's gift through creation, 
But we also recognize and give thanks to the fact that God became flesh in Jesus for our salvation. So as a meal, we're grateful for the nourishment that God provides through his creation, but we're also thankful for what he did through Jesus. When we eat and when we drink, we give thanks for the Father's gift of the Son as we celebrate the work of God in Christ, since the bread is also the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is, by example, Jesus offering a thanksgiving. When we get together and we celebrate the bread and we celebrate the body and we remember Jesus, we are offering thanks to God. Okay, so as that cup goes by and that bread goes by, it doesn't have to be like just this solemn occasion. We can rejoice in the fact that we get to participate in something like this, right? Because we receive the fullness of God through Jesus, do we not? And so when we take that bread, we're thankful that God has provided the bread of life. We're thankful that God became flesh and blood for us. We're thankful to God that Jesus poured out his blood for the sake of all mankind. The second thing, it's a memorial of Christ. Jesus told his disciples to remember him. Now, he did not ask them to remember his death alone, but he said, remember him. When we remember what God has done for us in Christ and how Christ acted on our behalf, we remember the incarnation, the fact that the Word became flesh. We remember the ministry of Jesus, how he walked through the streets of Galilee, how he preached, how he taught, how he healed people. We remember his death, where he went to a cross for every single one of us. We remember his, his resurrection, but it doesn't stop there. We also remember in this memorial of Christ, we remember the ascension of Jesus, the Messiah. We don't just focus on one thing in the memorial of Christ, we focus on the whole event. Does that make sense? We think of the entirety of the life of Jesus, and as we do that, we are remembering the gospel. We remember everything from the incarnation to the second coming. Thinking from when Jesus first entered earth as a child to when Jesus is going to come back, bringing with him all of those that have already died. As we anticipate the new creation. This memory, however, it's, it's more than just a, a cognitive reflection of a past event. It's also the, it is a present experience of the Christ event. To remember is to experience the present reality of God in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. We remember our redemption just as Israel remembered its own redemption every year at the Passover, we see ourselves as members of the redeemed community. To remember is to share in the story of God as part of the people of God. Okay, And see, that's where communion, that, that idea, that word comes into play. 
because we are the people of God, are we not? Okay, so when we read Scripture, when we read this story, we realize that this story is not their story. Whose is it? It's our story. We get to participate in this, and we, we find ourselves within the story. Now, when I get to the, the end of my career, whenever that, that happens to be, if there's anything I would like people to say about me, hint, hint, if there's anything I would like for people to remember about me, now then there's plenty to choose from, okay, but if I wanted to pick one of the things that I want you to remember and say about me, hopefully people will say that one of the main things I did was to help point people to the story and their place in the story. Because so many people, they, they read Scripture as if it was something that just happened so far, so far back in the past that it doesn't have anything to do with them. But to recognize that, no, this is us. This is our story. We get to participate in it. And so when we come to communion and we participate in the memorial of Christ, we are participating in something that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years that the people of God get to participate in. Okay, and so it is this memorial that we think about. So when you think about communion in just a few minutes, when that bread goes by, it's not just the death of Jesus, it's the entirety of Jesus. And that entirety of Jesus includes who? you and I. We are a part of that in this memorial to Christ. Number three, the invocation of the Spirit. Christ is present at the table and given to us through the bread and the fruit of the vine by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one through whom we commune with the Father through the risen Christ. Just as Jesus was raised in the power of the Spirit, so we are raised to the heavenlies to feed on Christ, experience His living presence, and commune with the Father through the Son. The Spirit brings us to the Son and unites us with Him in authentic communion. And by this experience, by this we experience the communion of the Spirit in a concrete, sacramental way. The Spirit transforms the old creation signs of, of bread and wine into the new creation experiences of body and blood of Christ. And it's through Him which the living Christ nourishes us. The Holy Spirit is involved in this as well. As we think of these things, so from the old creation, we have bread, right? Through the old creation, we have cup and, and wine. Of course, you know, we use grape juice now, but it's a fruit of the vine. Those are of the old creation, but when the Holy Spirit gets involved, it becomes something more than that. It becomes the body of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't take the bread and say, here's some bread. What did he say? He says, this is my body. Okay? He didn't break open a bottle of Welch's and say, hey, here's some grape juice. Because that's probably what they used, right? <laughs> and it was pasteurized, I'm sure. Because they had all that stuff. No, 
He did not take wine and say, hey, here's some wine. He says, this is my blood that represents the covenant that we get to be a part of and participate in. Okay, And so as we take communion together, the Holy Spirit is involved in that. And we commune together in the Spirit, thinking about bread as body and blood or, 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 or juice or wine as the blood of Christ. And so it deepens our understanding of what's going on. The fourth thing is the communion of the faithful. <coughs> this meal nourishes the church and it unites it through the eating of one loaf and the drinking from one cup. That is, is Christ himself. Now then, we've all heard horror stories of one cup or churches, right? You know, uh, you know, my luck is I would go to one and I'd end up next to the old lady who snuffs. That would be, you know, uh, that's, that's the one I would end up with. But the idea is that when we take this together, it's not that, you know, we're breaking these things off so it can be individualized, but we're taking it together and we take of the one cup, we take of the one loaf together thinking of the one who gave his life for us and that is Jesus, Jesus himself. We are, we are one new body through the body of Christ. We are one new people through the blood of Christ. When we commune in the body and blood of Christ through the eating and drinking, we bear witness to that unity and experience its spiritual and visible reality. This communion of believers, however, is not limited by space and time. Since this communion takes place in the heavenlies, we are united with the church throughout the world and the people of God throughout time. We eat and drink as the one people of God despite our diverse geographic, ethnic, and temporal realities. In this sense... The table is an intensely communal event. We not only commune with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but we commune with each other as the Spirit unites the whole church, past, present, and future, in this one moment of eating and drinking. Isn't that beautiful? That when we do what we are about to do in just a few minutes, we are connecting with the entirety of the people of God. Now, it's, it's pretty awesome to think that when we do that in here, we're connected, right? And that's pretty cool. But when we understand that there's way more to this, that we are one body, when we take communion, we are connected with the entire body of Christ throughout time and so you know I'll hear people say you know I'll think about my brothers and sisters back home and they might be referring to their homeland a distant place where they've they've come from or think of this communion that the apostles and Jesus took place in we are connected together as the body of Christ but a lot of times what do we do we pass it we get our bread we get our juice and We make it individual, don't we? But it is so much more. It is something we do together, not just locally, 
but universal. One body, one church, one Savior, eating and drinking, thinking about that Savior together. And then finally, number five, it's the meal of the kingdom. Okay, it's the meal of the kingdom. The future is already present at the table of the Lord as we sit at the Messianic banquet with all the people of God. The table in the church is the table of the kingdom of God that celebrates the reconciliation of all peoples, ethnicities, and nations, as well as the redemption of creation itself. Okay? You realize what communion does, right? In communion, if we are all one people, if we're all one body, that means there is no difference between us. Right? Just like what Ephesians said last week. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male, no female. There is no slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to reconcile, put back together that which was broken. Communion is part of that reconciliation. Does that make sense? I think that's part of the reason why we are to examine our lives before we get here. It's not take it and then examine your life. You're supposed to examine yourself way before that. Examine what's going on beforehand and deal with it before you get here. So that all prejudice, all Racism, all hurt, all pain, all sin, all of that stuff goes away and we are united as one body that, that, that communes together in the meal of the kingdom. The Lord's Supper is a foretaste. It is a, a present experience of the future. We participate in the new creation through it. The Supper then calls us into the mission of God for the reconciliation of the world and the renewal of creation. You realize that's part of what we get to participate in. Okay? When we take communion, again, it's more than bread. It's more than juice. It is mission of God. Our mission as the church, as the body of Christ, is to participate in the renewal of all things, right? So that means we are supposed to be peacemakers. We are supposed to love people that are really difficult to love, right? We are supposed to serve people, and we are supposed to think of people as better than ourselves, are we not? Which means that we have to forgive people, right? Which is what we're going to talk about next week. Even when we don't want to forgive. Because the mission of God depends upon that. We have been reconciled through Jesus Christ. We are now ambassadors of reconciliation with Jesus. Communion reminds us of that. That it's not just something that's done for us and to us, but it's something we participate in that reminds us of our purpose, of our calling. That we participate in the reconciling of all things. That's powerful, isn't it? It's, it, it, it's deep. 
God's grace nourishes us with the power of new creation. It transforms us into the image of Christ and it empowers us for the mission for the sake of the world. We receive Christ to become Christ for all the world. Does that make sense? Now then, I've given you a whole lot in a little bit of time. Okay? But hopefully, (coughs) hopefully you'll think about these things when we take communion together. Because like I said, it is really easy to get into a rut. And I'm just as guilty as anybody. Because a lot of times I'm thinking about, you know, making sure my notes are in the right order. Uh, Making sure that there are certain things that need to get said that get said. You know? And now then, that sounds really, okay, really spiritual. I'm also thinking about lunch, too. Okay? All right, I'm thinking about a nap. Okay, I'm thinking about all the stuff I got to get done on Monday. So it's not like I'm just like this pious person. Okay? I'm thinking about all those things that you're thinking about, too. And it's easy to get into that mode, is it not? But I hope this gives us a deeper, fuller, richer, whatever adjective you want to throw in there, meaning and understanding of communion. That there's so much more depth to what it is we do, so that we say, just as Jesus said, and this is it, I'm feeling the excitement, I fervently am longing to take this supper to have this Passover with you. That's how we need to think about communion. That when we get together and we do this, we're doing it together with the body of Christ universal. So why do we commune? Right here. To gather as one faithful body of believers, communing in the Spirit, giving thanks to the Father as we remember Christ during the meal of the kingdom of God. That's why we commune. And all of that is possible because of the cross and the empty tomb. Let's pray together.